All right, good morning, everybody. Something exciting happened in the first service that in eight years of being here, <clears throat> I have never had happen before. There were more people who left that first service than have ever left it in eight years of my life here. Isn't that amazing? It was great. So that may, that, I, I, it's just weird. It felt like you guys, it felt like people just kept coming out and out. It's like, I don't know. I don't know. I better not say anything else or else it won't be helpful. So I'll just shut up. Um, hey, man, thanks for being here. A couple of quick housekeeping things. And if you're new uh, and you have not met me, but my name is Peter. I'm one of the pastors here and staff. And just as Dave mentioned, man, just so grateful uh, for you guys, um, <clears throat> for the relationships that my family and I have here, for the elders and the pastors and the staff. And as you may or may not know, in different callings, missionaries, uh, uh, ministry, pastoring, and then in academia, right, for professors, and, and even in corporations. I know some corporate folks, this idea of a sabbatical is woven into it. Um, and Dave set it up what it was, just a time uh, not to respond to any crisis, but just a regular cyclical pattern just to refresh, right? Links back to ideas in the Old Testament. Let the land rest for a little bit before you throw some more seed out. So, uh, we're excited about that. We're looking forward to it personally. And it's going to be great for the church. I mean, I'm excited. You're going to have some great teachers come. And we have an amazing team. And so it's going to be a great season for you folks. And then we can't wait to see what God's done and jumping back into the fall with it. So, uh, so we're excited about that. But it doesn't start yet. So you have to tolerate my nasally Yankee southern redneck voice for a few, a little bit longer. Another housekeeping thing I want to I'll call out to you is that <clears throat> something happened this past week, and I just want to make sure you know that we know that it happened, but the CDC came out with this new guidance that if you've been vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask outside, and, and <clears throat> more importantly, you don't have to wear a mask inside. And the state of Connecticut, to the best of our understanding so far, has adopted that same guidance. And as of May 19th, what we currently understand, and we're going to confirm in the coming days, is that Governor Lamont and the state of Connecticut have said, if you've been vaccinated, you do not need to wear a mask inside as well. Now, we're looking into whether that applies broadly to churches or not, and <clears throat> we will obviously let you know the decision that the leadership team, our pastors and elders come to about that. And, um, but I hit this pretty hard the first service and I'm maybe, I don't know if it'll be so hard the, the next service, but let me look, listen, ready? Can we, I asked them to agree, just agree with me on something. And they all looked at me like, bro, I don't know what you're about to tell me. So <clears throat> why am I going to agree to you? Here's the thing I would ask you to agree with me about is this, look, this we are going to remain unified through this, okay? I actually think this next rollout will create another unique opportunity for potential division everywhere. And we are not going to become divided over this, okay? And, and I, don't, I don't know what the decision is going to be. We're looking into it. But no, it doesn't matter what it is because we're not going to become the mask police or no mask police. Here's what's important, right? What unites us together as a body is not whether we get the vaccine or don't get the vaccine. What unites us together as the body is not whether we all wear masks or don't wear masks. What unites us together as the body is what Jesus has done for us and the common faith that we share. And that's what binds us together. And that's what we're going to focus on. Okay. And I mean this. 
No matter what the decision is, we're not going to come in and be like, they mask, they don't, it doesn't matter. All right? We're a group of people with all different backgrounds and all different convictions and all different thoughts and all different ideas who are united together as one body and called to be unified. And we have remained unified compared to what some other churches have gone through in the midst of this past year and a half, and we will remain unified, okay? And I need you to commit to that and feel as passionately about it as I do. Because I do not want a piece of cloth, whether it's on a nose or not on a nose, to divide the body of Christ. Thank you. Okay, when a preacher gets an amen, he should stop talking and move on. All right, next thing. This is why last time at the service, we didn't get out to like whatever. Here's two more quick opportunities. I'm really excited next week to be able to celebrate what unites us together. What unites us together is Jesus. We're going to have baptism. We got two students. We got two young adults who are celebrating their faith, and we're going to get to celebrate together with them as a faith community. And then the final thing is this. After this class... One of the things we've historically done at Calvary is we've had something called equipping classes. Adult classes, we're talking about discipleship. We talk about different issues. We talk about what the Bible says on things. And so we're going to relaunch that for adults after this service. We've sent out an RSVP. There's been a bunch of folks who have RSVP'd. So after this service, we're going to launch an adult class, one of three weeks, on the issue of thinking theologically about race. I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be meaningful and a chance to dialogue and talk from a biblical perspective. If you've signed up for lunch, we got some amazing sandwiches for you. If you didn't sign up for lunch, I don't know if we have a sandwich for you. (laughs) But I do know we have a seat for you. And if that interests you, we'd love for you to come after this service. So after this service, now, I'm going to tell you one other thing. I'll be the bad cop. You will start to smell amazing hamburgers and hot dogs being prepared for our young adults and college students. That's not what our lunch is. <sighs> okay, enough said about that. So <clears throat> I'm excited you're here. Let me pray. Uh, I'm excited about what God's doing. Just grateful for the people I serve with here. Um, and uh, just looking forward to what God has for us today. So let's jump into it and get into his word. Father, I am grateful for the body of Christ, and I do pray your special unity over our body as we continue to navigate um, all sorts of things in our culture and decisions. And this is a moment when the enemy would love to tear, tear churches apart. It's a moment when the enemy would love to tear our church apart. And I, that is not what you want for your body. And so I pray that in powerful ways, your supernatural strengths <clears throat> will continue to bind us and glue us together. Thank you, Father, that right now we have a chance to get into your word and We don't have to guess about you. We don't have to guess about what you want from us. You have been so kind to reveal truth to us in your word, and we have a chance now to get into it. And none of the impact or power or meaning comes from me. I'm a broken guy who's growing in my own faith and journey in this community, and I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit is the one who takes your words and brings life and meaning and impact to it. So, Father, look forward to what you have. We want Jesus, our King, to be honored and glorified in our time together. It's in his name that we pray now. Amen. 
Well, what I want us to do for the next few minutes is we're in this series uh, called this narrative, the series uh, that we've been walking through. And usually we go books by books of the, the Bible here at Calvary, but we've paused. And what we've said is we're going to go through the Old Testament. And we kicked that off in January. We've been seeing how all the big stories tie together to tell the bigger story and how that bigger story points to Jesus. And I just want us to think, kind of pull some theological strands together of what we've seen so far. I want us to think about something that we've seen so far about God in our stories and in our time <clears throat> together. And, and here's what we've seen so far, right? What's kind of been woven, the rubric hidden behind these things. But what we've seen is this common idea that God is a spirit and supernatural. God is a spirit and supernatural, right? Other than us, above us, different than us, spiritual being. But what we've caught these glimpses of is this reality that he works through natural, material things to accomplish his spiritual purposes. God is a spiritual, supernatural being who chooses to work through natural, through material, through flesh, blood, stuff to accomplish his purposes. We started to see this, to catch glimpses of it. When we began this story, when we began walking through, we began in the beginning. And in the beginning, right, Genesis 1, first couple of weeks, the only character on the scene was God. <clears throat> God. This being, this heavenly father, different through us, a, a person, a being who is overflowing bubbling over with this amazing, rich, satisfying love. In the beginning of the story, the only person on the scene was this person, this heavenly father, who overflows and who abounds with love. And he wanted people, he wanted different objects to be able to experience that love, to know that love, to rest in that love. And as they rest in that love and as they, they, they rooted themselves in that love, they would then respond to worship him. In the beginning, there was a God who oozes love through every pore of his being, who wants that satisfying love to be experienced. And by those who experience it, return worship. And so that God began making stuff. And he made some trees and he made some <clears throat> birdies and he made some lizards, right? He made some water, he made some sand. And then that, that God one day reached down and he grabbed some dirt and he made some people. So a bunch of dirt on my backyard because I had the idea that I was going to be able to reseed my lawn. And so a couple weeks ago, we had four yards of dirt dumped on my yard. I put grass seed down. They tell me that in 10 days, I'm supposed to see some grass. That was about nine days ago. Ain't nothing but dirt. Uh, but that's okay. God reached out and grabbed some topsoil, some stuff. And this supernatural, spiritual, divine God started to use natural things to accomplish his spiritual purposes. And he made people. And he put these people in a particular place to live, a, a, a small area, a garden. And he said to these people, look, <clears throat> I am love. And the best thing you could ever do is experience that love. And I want to have a relationship with you. And in response to that relationship with you, I want you to worship me. And in addition to that, look, I want you to take care of this place, this, this piece of dirt, 
in which I've put you. God left material people in a material world to be his representatives here and to accomplish his spiritual purposes. And God, per, what God is saying to them is, look, I want you to be part of my kingdom. And I want you to take care of my kingdom for me in the place that I've put you. <clears throat> what we've seen is those people started to have more people and more people and more people. And we've been tracking the development of this group of people known as the Israelites. And these Israelites weren't living in a little garden anymore. In fact, God was giving them this huge region, this region which as we speak is an absolute chaos. Confusion. I'm not taking sides. I'm just telling the reality that in that piece of dirt, there is conflict today. Well, God gave them thousands and thousands of years ago that region. And he said to them, look, I'm going to give you a bigger piece of land, Israelites. And you know what, though? I still want to have a relationship with you. I want you to experience my overflowing love because it will satisfy you. And in response to your being satisfied and knowing me, I want you to respond and worship to me. And oh, by the way, I want you to take care of this place in which I put you. What God said to them is the same thing he said to the first people he met out of dirt. He said, look, I want you to be part of my kingdom. <clears throat> and I want you to take care of my kingdom for me. Big fancy word. The plan was I'm going to mediate my kingdom. My spiritual kingdom, my spiritual role through you, dirt-based, material, flesh, and blood people. And last week, we, we saw for most of the story, the Israelites were beside this obstacle where it was scary and they didn't know how they were going to get across it. And it was rushing and it was dangerous. And I love the song we sang, Be Still, because that's where we left these people for most of last week. They had to wait they had to wait right by the thing that scared them the most and that they couldn't get through on their own. But then we ended last week with this little sentence about how they stepped out of the Jordan River onto this new piece of land. They finally gotten into this land that God's preparing for them. And the question is, as they moved into that land, how did God want them to live there? What did he want them to do? What did it mean for them to mediate his kingdom? What is that going to look like? And we start to see glimmers of that. If you've got a Bible, if you've got a device, you can open up to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26, Moses is talking. He's, it's before they've moved to the land, like years earlier, but he's telling them these broader expectations about what their story should be. And this is what he says to them in Deuteronomy 26, uh, verse 16. He says this. This day the Lord commands you to do these statues and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and commandments and his rules and you will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared to you today that you are a people for his treasure possession as he has promised you and that you are, a, you are to keep all of his commands. And that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all the nations that he has made. And that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he's promised. What the story is saying is, look, I'm giving you some commands. I'm giving you some rules. I'm telling you some things to do. And God says, look, as my people, as you move into my kingdom, what I want you to do is obey them. Obey them. There's a couple of kind of key passages and key things. 
that I hope when our time together in this series is over is something you're always going to grab onto. I hope one of those things will be this Abrahamic covenant. Three things, Abrahamic covenant, people, land, blessing, people, land, blessing, people, land, blessing. I hope 22 years from now, if you ever hear about the Abrahamic covenant, you will hear my annoying voice saying, people, land, blessing, people, land, blessing. I hope you'll remember what the Abrahamic covenant is. Another great Old Testament thing to hold on to is Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Have you ever been to Ikea? Okay. You've walked into Ikea. You're a little hungry. So you get some of them Swedish meatballs. As you take your first bite, you ask yourself the question that everybody asks themselves. Is it beef or is it horse? You do. You ask yourself that. You don't really know the answer to that question because you tell yourself, it don't matter what it is, I'm dipping in this ligonberry jam and it tastes good. You go to Ikea and you see this amazing couch. It's like, great. You say, I want a couch like that in my house. You then go to this massive warehouse. You get that box. You get that box. You get that thing. You get that thing. You try to cram it all in your car. You can't do it. You call your roommate, your friend. You finally get all those boxes home. You open it up and there is this little piece of paper known as the directions or instructions. Have any of you seen that piece of paper? Some of you think that is kindling for the fire you will make next Christmas. No, it is supposed to be followed. And usually on that piece of paper, there's this, this, this pen and ink sketch or something of what that finished couch is going to look like. And the, the, the goal is, look, if you want your thing to look like this, <clears throat> if you want that couch to look like this, here are the directions for you to follow. And if you do it this way, it's going to end up like that. And then you have a choice of, are you going to do it that way or not? This is what Deuteronomy 28 is in many ways for the Israelite people. What Deuteronomy 28 starts by saying this, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth and all of these, what's that word? Now, I learned something. I told you this last week, maybe. When I sat and listened to Chris Raleigh over there in that corner where Lamar's sitting, Chris is pointing to stuff up here. I'm like, bro, I can't see what you're pointing to. But that's okay, because I can see it. There's a little word right here that probably in the back you can't see. The word is blessings. If you do these things, these blessings will come to you. And then the next paragraphs in Deuteronomy 28 are, hey, all these blessings. This will be blessed. This will be blessed. This will be blessed. This will be blessed. If you do it this way, according to these directions, the couch is going to end up the way you want it to look. Your life will be good in the land. But the second half of Deuteronomy 28 is the reverse. It's like if you don't follow the directions, man, you're going to have your mother-in-law over to sit on that brand new couch you just made, and it will fall apart around her, and she will never talk to you again. <clears throat> that would not be a good ending for you. Deuteronomy 28, the remainder of it says to the Jewish people, look, I'm offering you blessings. But if you choose not to obey, you're going to experience the opposite of this in the land. And it's no coincidence that the word blessing is being he used here because this does bring us all the way back to the Abrahamic covenant where the promise is people, land, blessing, people, land, blessing, people, land, blessing. There are now people who have taken one step into the land and what God is saying to them is, look, now in the land, me, a God who overflows with love. The contract I've made with you, Israelites, is I want to bless you. I want to give you blessings. But your blessings are going to come with obedience. You obey me, God's saying. <clears throat> the blessings are going to come 
But it was never, ever about just them being blessed. It wasn't. Because remember what God promised down the road was to Abraham. He said, look, I'm going to give you people land. I'm going to bless them and I'm going to bring blessing to all people through them. God was saying, look, you obey me. That's going to cause you to be blessed. But you know what? Part of how I will be able to bless other people who don't yet know me is through your obedience and your worship to me. And as other countries who are walking down all other paths, whether God see the way that I am dealing with you and being good to you and being kind to you, it will be like a tractor beam that pulls them to try to see man. What's going on with those Israelites in their land? Why are things so good for them? Why is their God so kind to them? I want to know that God, they would be blessed by obeying God. But it wasn't only about them. It was about how are other people around them blessed? And that too would come through their obedience. Now, now the contract God made with the Israelites is different than the contract that people after Jesus, what God offers. But there is this principle that's clearly seen here that that is a big idea that is true in our lives today. And what we can pull from this is this idea that, you know what? Here's the big idea. How we live matters. How we live matters. It matters for the glory of God. And it matters for the good of others around us. And I'm not talking about legalistic, performance-driven, empty, ritualistic, religious, let me just try to be good. I'm talking about worship-fueled, awe-moved, desire to respond to a loving God who has loved us with a life of obedience, depending upon the Holy Spirit, because that's our only chance of being able to do that. And how we do that matters. It matters. See, what we do inside these walls, that's great. It matters what we do inside. But you know what I think impacts people perhaps even more? What impacts people perhaps even more is how we individually as a community act outside these walls. It is great that people on your street saw you jump into the minivan to come to church on a Sunday. The question is, what do they then see us doing in our backyard on a Thursday? How do they see us talking to our wife? How do I see us talking to our kids? It matters. Not legalistically, but worship-fueled, spirit-dependent, responding to the loving God in ways that will please him and for the good of others around us. The jokes we tell matters whether we say we're sorry when we were wrong matters whether we generously care about people who are hurting around us or whether we callously don't give a rip matters what you and what i post on social media matters now here's the good thing I ain't got no clue what none of y'all post because I ain't any of your friends on social media. My one, I only got like two pastor bullets that I tell young pastors. One of them, nobody listens to me, but is like, don't have people in your church be friends with you on social media. Now, I do have a couple of you who I knew you back decades ago. You slipped in under the radar. But I don't know what you post. You could post John 3.16 every day. 
or you could post a bunch of nonsense. What we do on social media matters. And here's something that came out of men's night. And Brandon wasn't just given a sales pitch. I mean, for me personally, for him, for a lot of us in this room, it was a meaningful time as three guys told their stories and then we broke into some... <laughs> Somebody is online right now in Albuquerque, New Mexico, thinking about what is going on at that church. For you online viewers, somebody just had some disco music start playing pretty loudly in here. All right. What was I saying? Men's night. Men's night, we had three guys tell their testimonies. And one of the things that came out of those is one of the guys who shared that, you know what? When he was in grade school, when he was in high school, there was one classmate who did just a simple thing that changed and helped propel the trajectory of his life towards a relationship deeper with Jesus. We don't have to talk about huge life-changing things because little acts can make a huge difference for good or for bad. So God says, look, I'm putting you in a land. I want a relationship with you, right? And I want you to represent me well in the place that I have you. I want you to be part of my kingdom and I want to mediate my kingdom through you. And the deal was, look, if you obey, you'll be blessed. And if you bless as you obey. So the question then is, okay, how did the Israelites do? They've now taken one step into their land. How well are they doing with this? Well, the book of Judges answers that question for us, okay? The book of Judges. We are going to, in the next 15 minutes together, go through the entire book of Judges. It's going to be great, ready? But, but Judges kind of tells us about that. What I'd love for you to do too is I'd love for a part of us to get to understand our Bibles better through all this. If you have a paper Bible, it would be good for you to know where the book of Judges is. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Yes! Right? It's good to kind of think like, oh, Peter talked about judges. I kind of know. If you have an electronic Bible, that's fine. But it's good for you to look at the table of contents and be like, okay, judges. Uh, not that it's chronological, just to kind of know how, where all these things are in a book. Here's a little background about the book of just two quick things. Joshua covered about 35 years of Israel's history. Judges covers about 300 years. 300 years of Israel's history is contained within the book of Judges. And as we enter the book of Judges, we enter with Judges chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 1, and here's what it says. After the death of Joshua. Abraham died a long time ago. Moses died a couple weeks ago. Well, not like a couple weeks ago in 2021, but a couple weeks ago in our series. Joshua's now just died. They're, they're kind of rudderless. They're kind of leaderless, right? And, and the book of Judges is going to tell us what happens. And structurally, the first two chapters of Judges detail the same events. Mo chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2 tell us kind of they recount events like politically, geographically, more historically. The second kind of three quarters of chapter 2 look at those same events, but they do it through a spiritual lens. What's going on with these people spiritually? So chapter 1 brings this historical perspective. Chapter 2 brings this spiritual perspective on the same set of events. And when we hold those two things together, look through those lenses, how well do we see the Israelites doing with what they're supposed to do? Well, they don't do so well. But that shouldn't surprise us because I don't do so well. And you don't do so well sometimes. <clears throat> Here's the first thing that we see, their first error, and we'll unpack it. But the first problem they had is this. They failed to fully obey God. They failed 
to fully obey God. We, we see this early on in verse 6 of chapter 1 where it tells us. This, this king, here, here's what the deal was. These, the Jewish people were told two things. They were told, okay, when you move into this land, there's going to be some enemies of God there. And you will have to either do, you're going to have to do some different things sometimes. Sometimes you're going to have to wipe out certain leaders and certain people. Other times, you're going to have to get those people completely out of the land. Now, I've just said very simply something that, that ethically and just fairness-wise is, is hard to process. Like, wait, uh -huh. and I, we don't, we're not going to go into that today, but if I can ever help process that or point you to somebody else, I'd be happy to kind of walk through conquest, was it fair-related issues. But that's what God told them to do. Either like, you got to kill this, these leaders, these people, or you got to wipe them out from the land. Those were their marching orders. And so we come to verse 6, and let's see how well they do with some of this. We read about this guy, this king of this other country, Adonai Bezak. And we see in verse 6, it says this, Adonai Bezak fled, but they, being the Israelites, pursued him. And they caught him, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. That does not sound very pleasant. I'm glad I'm not Adonai Bezek. I do not know what they did with their thumbs or the big toes. But this is what I do know. That's not a good thing they did to him. But it's not what they were supposed to have done to him. What they're doing is actually acting towards him in the cultural way that other armies and other arming warring tribes would act to their enemies in war. But what God has said about this guy is, look, look, guys, right, for reasons that I know, and again, we'll be happy to talk about it with you, but you got to kill him. But they did something to him that wasn't a good thing, but it wasn't the thing that God told him to do. And the next paragraphs, there are eight more examples, right? Jewish Israelites, you got to get these guys out of the land, right? Right? Look, if you have termites in your house, and I'm not saying people are termites. This is an illustration. But if you have termites in your house, and you get 75 of them out of your house, you don't want to keep those 25. Because they're going to just sit there and go, and make more. And what we see is eight more times they were supposed to get these people out of the land, get the people out of the land, get the people out of the land because I need you to be holy and you got to get rid of sin. And you know what? Do they do it? <clears throat> well, let's start looking. And when we see verse 18, could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain. Keep switching, right? Verse 21, did not drive out the Jebusites. You're going to see this repeated pattern. 27, did not drive out. It's going to continue in 28, in 29, in 30, in 31, did not drive them out did a little bit of something did a little bit of obedience but not complete obedience and the first error as they moved in this land was this partial obedience they partially obeyed but they didn't fully obey and then that kind of got them on this, this, this little stairway down to the second thing, this next error. And in chapter 2 of Judges, verse 10, we read this next thing that we see. So, so there's this, now we've, time has gone by. Again, we're, we're going through 300 years. The group of people that stepped into the promised land after coming through the river like we saw last week, they're dead now. Okay? Generation is gone. That generation were gathered to the fathers. Now, it's the kids, the second generation in that land. And we read that there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Now, 
Sometimes translations are a little challenging. This doesn't mean they didn't know like factually. I mean, they knew facts about God. But, but what this idea, what this understanding is more like, yeah, but you know what? They didn't really care. It's not that they didn't know facts about God. It's that for this second generation. And that's kind of all of us. Facts. And we don't really care. And this God of overflowing love, who abounds in love, who cares for them and know that the best thing for them would to be rest and be rooted and anchor themselves in his steadfast love that will never fail. They didn't get that. They didn't see him as worthy. <clears throat> they didn't value him. And they heard all the stuff and they kind of thought to themselves like, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, we know that. We've heard that before. They yawned. Were bored. They're like, yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, God, no, we got it. Whatever. You know what happened? They knew facts about God. But somehow the familiarity about the facts of their God had caused some apathy to come and they experienced apathy. Instead of awe, yawned. This God who is nothing but love, who adores them and adores you, who is the source of all satisfaction and all meaning and all hope who is nothing like you who created you the question is sometimes do we say to ourselves yeah yeah i know all that and yawn with boredom and say why don't you tell me something i don't know it's easy to get there the more we handle the sacred the more common it becomes and we need to guard ourselves in our own hearts from this. And this, this apathy and this failure to fully obey then led them to this third place. And this third place was this, Judges chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. That's better Hebrew, but Baals. Interesting word, right? Sometimes this word Baal, it refers to one specific false pagan god, but other times it's this catch-all phrase for any idols, used interchangeably. But regardless, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They began, third thing they did wrong, they began chasing idols. We talk a lot about idols here, about looking to something else to make our life right. We're not going to unpack all that today, but this is where they ended up. And then we see this pattern for 300 years that they end up being trapped in. For 300 years, there is now this cycle that they get caught in. Judges tells us in 
chapter 2, 11, 14. Let's go back to the verse first, if you don't mind, if we can flip our, right? The people of the Lord, the Israel, did what was even the sight of the Lord, served the bell. So anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers. So they would worship another god. Then what would happen is other countries would come into that region, and they would wipe them out. And they would plunder them, who plundered them, and he sold them to other people. And then what happened, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. Here's the cycle that we see. For 300 years, we see this first thing they do is sin. Then discipline. Then they cry for help. You know what? God hears them. God hears them. And he delivers them through a judge. That's the pattern. Here's a quick two seconds about what this judge is it's like this government official that didn't start here in the book of Judges. Actually, it's something Moses had started a while ago. Uh, God gave each of these judges some <clears throat> certain gifts, some certain specialties. Each judge had a different personality, different gifting. The great resource I'm happy to tell you about, man, if you're interested in learning more, you should read the book of Judges. Like I said last week, it's like, it's like crazy. I mean, you should read it. It's interesting stuff. But you're going to see every judge has some flaws, some weaknesses, some good things, different personalities. There's 12 men and one woman. Most of those 12 dudes are nincompoops. That one woman is a godly, strong leader who led the people of Israel well. The guys led well for moments, but kind of fell asleep at the wheel sometimes. These judges, kind of depending on your generation... These judges, if you read the book, you'll see like they're either like the Mandalorian or they're like that old Western sheriff who rides into town, grizzly Clint Eastward with a cigar in his mouth to get some a posse to go fight the bad guys. And they come in and God works through them to save the day. But unfortunately, after each judge, the situation only gets worse. And here's what we read in 2.19. This next verse tells us this reality. Whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of the practices or stubborn ways, more corrupt. And there's a cycle that goes on for 300 years, but it's a downward spiral, downward cycle where it just keeps getting worse and worse. And now listen to the last verse of the book of Judges. We have done it. We have gone through one whole book of the Bible in however many minutes. That doesn't matter. Here's what the last verse of Judges says. It says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Here's the important part. The, th this is a literary technique kind of launching us to what's coming. But the problem ultimately wasn't that they didn't have Prince Charles in charge. The problem was that the king in whose kingdom they were living, God, man, they weren't serving. They had a king, but they didn't want anything to do with serving that king. And so the people did what was evil in their own eyes. And the question is, what's God going to do next? <clears throat> Is their story over? Is there hope? How is he going to try to mediate his kingdom through these people who keep doing it wrong? What's he going to do? What's the next phase? Well, the story's not over because we've got a whole lot more of the Old Testament. And we're going to kind of go into the next phase, the next plan next week. But four takeaways from this week as we end. And here's the first one. That if you're a follower of Jesus... We started by saying that this supernatural spiritual God works through natural material things to accomplish his supernatural purposes. If you're a follower of Jesus, guess what? Here's the takeaway for you. One of them, God wants to work through you. 
And God has put you, you, in a certain piece of space in his kingdom. And he surrounded you with certain opportunities. He surrounded you with certain needs. He surrounded you with a lot of people. And through you, God wants to mediate his kingdom in the place in which he has placed you. Second reality that we've seen from today, the takeaway is this, that partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. It's great to obey God 92%. That other 8%. And I don't know how that might land on you, but I know that that's what we saw loud and clear to the first two verses. Here's the third takeaway is this for us. Find time to find awe for God. If you sit in most church services, I make no claims to be the best. I'm no like, I'm not going to like be in heaven in a mansion where it says best preacher who's ever lived on the face of the earth. <clears throat> but, but, but if you sit in sermons week after week and you think like, yeah, I've heard all that before. Maybe you're allowing it to become a little too common. Maybe you've missed some of the awe of a God who says, look. I made you so that I could pour love all over you. Because you will never know anything better than how deeply and consistently and faithfully I love you. And that will satisfy you and that will soothe you. And some of you right now are thinking, yeah, Peter, you said that about five weeks ago. Can't you come up with something better? I can't. And I think I've read most of this. And if you're looking for something better, then this is for you. Because that's the best it is. And we should respond with awe and worship in response to that. And as I ask the worship team to come up here and we're going to end worshiping together, here's the last thing. And this is great. No matter how deep our sin, God always hears our prayers. No matter how deep our sin, God always hears our prayers. And if you're in a place this morning that you're thinking, man, Smith, you don't know how deep I am in the spiral. I don't. But God does. And he's there waiting for you with mercy and with the possibility of forgiveness and restoration. And all of that's because of Jesus. Because of Jesus who's come to say, I want to break the cycle of sin. Jesus who's come and says, I want to take your sin and I want to give you forgiveness and righteousness. I want to stand in your place as your savior and as your king because of love. And as we end today, we have an opportunity as a community of people to respond to that reality about Jesus, to sing about it, to remind ourselves about it, and to cling to it. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to wrap up our time together with this final song. Father, we need your spirit to be able to do any of the things we've talked about today. We need you to be able to obey. We need you to be able to be in awe of you. 
We know that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So, Father, I come humbly open and ask the Spirit and Jesus to continue to perfect my faith. And I ask that the faith of all of us in the room will be enriched, will be perfected, that we will spiritually be drawn to understand who you are in a meaningful way that moves us to worship and to joyful obedience as worship to you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for hope. Thank you that we can affirm that together now. Amen.